Welcome to Huntland. If you like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joe Baya here with my co-host Clint Flowers, and this week's show is brought to you by SunSouth. This is the season to get more done with quality John Deere equipment. And during the trade-in and trade-up sales event at SunSouth, you can own quality John Deere equipment for less with 0% financing on select new John Deere tractors and mowers, plus additional trade-in bonus cash for qualifying equipment. The trade-in and trade-up sales event at SunSouth. Visit SunSouth or shop sunsouth.com today. SunSouth, for those that do. Offers expire February 28th, 2021. Some restrictions apply. See your dealer for details. Clint, one of the things that I love about the upcoming turkey season is that I don't have to worry about scent. One of the things that just stresses me out about deer hunting is just always wondering what's happening with my scent and making sure I'm getting it right. Have you gotten winded this year so far? Oh, yeah. When you're dragging a smelly seven-year-old and a giant bag of snacks everywhere you go, there's no way to really fix that. (laughs) Well, you know, hopefully there is. Uh, We're going to talk about the ins and outs of of scent control today. And to do that, we've got Aaron Amber with Scentlock joining us. Aaron, welcome to Huntland, man. Uh, yeah, we're going to dig in deep on scent control, kind of do a 101 today. But but before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about, about Scentlock and everything you guys do there. Yeah, well, thank you much, Joe. Uh, good to hear both you and Clint today. And yeah, I'm the president of uh, Nexus Outdoors. And within Nexus Outdoors, we have a couple of different uh, outdoor brands committed to really improving uh, everyone's aspect to uh, pursuing their favorite game outdoors and look forward to chatting with you a little bit about Scentlock today. A lot of good things, exciting things are going on in our world and I love opportunities like this to talk about uh, scent control. You know, Clint was talking about smelly seven-year-olds and bags of (laughs) snacks and all that. Man, what causes odor really? What creates that odor? snacks and smelly kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, we, we like to profess at our company, I mean, we've been in the older science business for 25 years. And uh, so we have a little bit of a platform to talk about authenticity in this land. And when we talk about the, the world of odor, and I'm going to phrase it as that, there's really three large places where odor starts. And the first one is bacteria and bacteria is commonly found and produced on one's skins and uh, your skin and warmth and moisture creates a growing bacteria dish if you will uh, where odors start and they emit off your skin so bacteria is number one number two is metabolic a metabolic would be odors produced by the body. So think about you eat garlic or or maybe you and your buddies had a few too many toddies the night before, but as your body metabolizes, if you will, stuff that you eat, it admits, if you will, through your skin. And the last one is ambient. So ambient would be bacon and eggs. It would be uh, rubbing up against a gas can. It could be smoke. Um, So those are really the three places where odors start, if you will. And that would be what I call the world of odors. So one of the questions I've always had in my mind when it comes to deer, we're going to be talking about deer today, but really it applies to anything that uses its, its nose and something we're trying to get close enough to hopefully shoot is why can't we just cover ourselves up with scent, with some scent that is uh, noxious enough that the animal smells that and that scent is not something that's going to alarm 
that animal? Why do we need to eliminate scent? Yeah, and I'll give you my analogy is this, is that um, you or I might come in uh, or Clint might come into um, the kitchen one day and, and we say, you know what, it smells like breakfast in here. And deer, they will come into a kitchen and say, I smell grease, I smell bacon, I smell syrup, I smell pancakes, I smell someone's BO. They, they have an unbelievable computer program in their minds that allow them to take scent and break it down uh, hundred you know seven ways to Sunday. And that is, you know, they're built, they're God's ones, one of God's greatest creatures that have an unbelievable way in which they use their senses to detect harm, if you will. And, and they're unbelievable. So as I was growing up as a kid, uh, I remember my dad, I grew up on a little farm and ranch in South Dakota. And he was back in the day where he, he would play wind, which we'll talk about a little bit here in a second, but he always thought it'd be great what, to, to send his kid out on a gravel road with a skunk that has been driven over with a, my dad was a little part-time vet too. And we'd extract, if you will, a skunk order. So it used to be in the day uh, that you think you could overtake a deer's nose, if you will, just land blast it with a high skunk smell, if you will. So they can't figure out the bacon and the eggs, or in this case, the human odor, but they're unbelievable. You certainly can help minimize the reaction, but you cannot break out human odor from even you being drenched in skunk uh, spray, if you will. So that's just a, a really crazy example, but it's it's been one that is kind of been out there for quite a few years of just cover-up sprays. You cannot cover up enough to uh, outsmart a deer's nose. Well, if we can't cover it up, we want to eliminate it. Mm-hmm. Can you really eliminate all scent? You know, I, I would tell you this, unless you're in a, a big plastic bag and it was sealed off, there's no way to get rid of pla- to, to get rid of your odor. So to your point is elimination, or I would say um, reduction, if you will, of your human scent odor signature is the best you can do. So there's back to connecting it to the sources of odor. You know, I would tell you always number one, always number one, play to win. And, and I don't care, you're talking to, to me today, and I would tell you my best advice to anybody is play the wind, right? Um, because you, it's all about reduction of the variables. And if you can reduce, no matter how well you're doing at scent control, where your scent is going in the most prominent area in which you think the deer are coming from, that's number one. But aside from playing the wind, you really have to link it back to what we talked about, the three sources of odor. So bacteria, the best way to take care of bacteria is you can address that with antimicrobials. And where antimicrobials are best best dealt with is next to skin because it's next to that the skin and the moisture and where bacteria exist. So a great antimicrobial treatment in such a, in your base layer is the best way to handle at least the onset of bacteria and odors that create from that. But you can't eliminate all the bacteria off your skin. I mean, definitely you want to prepare yourself right, taking care of your skin. Uh, but then you you step into metabolic, which is you can't do anything with metabolic with bacteria. It's not a bacteria base. And that's when you get into the world of our carbon. So carbon's a technology that is a big sponge, if you will, for scent molecules. And scent molecules inherently are unstable and they want to run to carbon. And carbon is a bunch of 
porous surfaces where actually molecules go. So with the combination antimicrobial, which we call our carbon alloy, our silver alloy, and then you talk about carbon with our carbon alloy, that's the best way to handle bacteria. It's the best way to handle metabolic. And then if you have any ambient odors, those ambient orders run to the carbon as well. I was really hoping you were going to say something like, you know, metabolic, okay, corn, deer like corn, bourbon's made from corn. <laughs> corn makes bourbon. whiskey. Whiskey's yeah. make my baby feel all frisky. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. All right. Well, so let, let's talk. You mentioned play in the wind, and I'm, I'm kind yeah. of a nerd on play in the wind. I do things, I think, different than a lot of people do uh, when it comes to play in the wind. So, I want to talk about wind strategies a little bit, specifically whitetails. When you say play the wind, I think a lot of people think, okay, well, I'm looking north. I want a north wind. It's going to blow in my face. I'm trying to look out in front of me. Uh, That's going to blow my wind behind me. But I do some things a little bit different. Tell me some of your strategies uh, when it comes to play in the wind. What are some of the factors that you take into account? when you're trying to set up a stand or if the sand's already there, trying to pick stands based on the wind. Yeah. And I, and it's as simple as this and, and a little bit has to do with what you said is that you definitely want to know morning patterns and evening patterns of deer, right? Just in general, they're, they're going to a bedding area, they're going to a feeding area and based upon your morning or evening set, you definitely want to know where the predominance, if you will, of their movement is. So yes, in the case where you know predominantly they're coming from the north in the evening, they're going to a feeding area in south and you, and you can play that when that's great. But, you know, certainly deer are also good. I've seen properties before where there might be a feeding and a bedding area. They like to work their way into wind as a general thought. Now, they can't always do it effectively, but they always try to cut the wind. It's like a dog. You take a dog out the woods, he's always trying to backtrack up in the wind. So he might be cutting in front of you to work back towards you if you're walking with the wind. So that's one thing. And then I think the other strategy for wind is you just have to know if you're going to get aggressive, Joe and Clint, and you guys know it, the second you bring out a grunt call, the second you bring out horns, you just got to know you're entering a zone, if you will, that's going to expose yourself no matter how you're playing the wind that day to an animal coming downwind. And, And Joe, I can't say this is a fact. I'll just say it's through experience. It seemed like 25 years ago, deer were, you know, you always get an aggressive deer that straight lines into an aggressive calling situation. But I tell you, these days, there's way more J-hooking happening with these deer coming in on a grunt call, on a horn rattle. So you just got to be in that situation where they play the wind right to know the day you put your, you know, the second you choose to call, you're playing a little scent Russian roulette, if you will. I think I see what you're talking about uh, as it pertains to calling. I see that a lot. We, Clint and I both hunt in the Southeast, deep South, and we do a lot of what we call food plot, just sitting on the afternoons and, and watching these, these open areas. And I, I was hunting several years ago, bow hunting, and I knew I had a deer coming into this field, a mature buck coming into this field when I wasn't there based off of game camera photos And I knew basically where he was entering the field from, which direction. And so I had a stand kind of set up on what I thought would be an edge of that wind. And I thought I had the wind in my favor, you know, kind of 
assuming that that deer was going to come in at a perpendicular to where he was entering the field. And what I noticed that day was I was, it was in a, in a tree stand and I heard a deer coming from a direction different than where this, where I expected this deer to enter the field. And I was able to see the deer, but I was unable to get a shot. Okay. And what he did, it was this, it was the deer I was hunting, but he actually did exactly what you're talking about. He did a big J hook and he came into the field where he had been coming in or he was going to come into the field, but he circled that whole entire edge of that field to be able to scent check it before he came in. And he picked up my scent doing that. And that really tuned me into the thinking about edges where what I used to do was if I was hunting that food plot, I would look for a wind that was directly in my face based on where the stand was. And I could approach that field with the wind in my face the entire time. But what I realized is that that buck, cause he wasn't coming in every day, like, like clockwork, he was only going to come to that field based on a wind that made him feel comfortable coming to that field. If he didn't have that wind, he was going to some other feeding location or maybe stay embedded or I don't know what he was doing those days, but that really tuned me into looking for those edges and starting to think about, is there a way that I can hunt that deer on a wind he feels comfortable with and not get picked off? And, that, that's and super astute, Joe, because that, that's, that's how you got to be thinking about it. He and, doesn't hear that often, so don't, don't get a big head. <laughs> well, I never killed the deer, so that, it doesn't help. I did learn from him. And, you know, I think that playing the wind's awesome. And like you said, it's super important. You, you have to do that first and foremost. But when you're hunting like a wind edge or here in the south, we get, and I'm sure in lots of places, you get lots of swirling winds. I mean, things just aren't always, and I love to watch, you know, hunting television and, and they say, look, I just don't go in there when the winds are swirling and I don't hunt thermals. And, you know, it's like you take the average guy who's hunting on the weekends and, if he didn't hunt the days where the wind was swirling and there were thermals and then, you know, only on weekends, he would just hardly ever hunt. And so being able to control your scent uh, as much as possible is super important. You just can't always play the wind just right. There's just no way. And especially here in the South, we've got bedding areas everywhere. There is no definitive here's the bedding and here's the feeding in a lot of places. They might bed to the east of the field today and to the west of the field tomorrow. You know, it, 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 it's super important. So you talked a little bit about controlling scent on the body. That is really going to be that bacteria. That's going to come from that antimicrobial layer. What are those elements of that antimicrobial? What should people look for if they're looking for that antimicrobial layer? What do you use in that base layer? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look across the industry, there's there's many that have an antimicrobial treatment, and and I would definitely be asking questions on on how effective the antimicrobial is and and who you can trust. I mean, there's some people that just subscribe to to Merino as their antimicrobial layer. And I mean, it's good from its ability to, you know, not create bacteria itself because even your garments, if you're not laundering them, I mean, they can, they can obviously get skin or skin particles on it and, and create bacteria. So I would just tell you there's, there's a couple of different providers out there and I'd, I'd go with a brand that you trust that, that knows the science. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that with, I like Merino, but I've noticed that like, take my boots off after a day of wearing merino socks and 
my socks stink. I mean, it's definitely an odor. Now, the interesting thing is the next morning, that odor will be gone, but it's certainly emitting some type of odor. You know, you mentioned, you know, you've got scent on the skin and then you've got that metabolic scent and that's where that carbon layer comes in. Let's talk a little bit more about that. You guys have been doing carbon clothing for how long now? 25 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, that's the real, it's a real engine, right? Right. That's what brought you to the market essentially, right? Yeah. Yeah. Joe, that's and Clint, that's been a little of the challenge in the outdoor industry is you've had people that have had an antimicrobial treatment period. And that was their one arrow that they said uh, took care of everything. And and I hope in this conversation today, as we continue to evolve it, there's definitely a place for, but even that bacteria that the antimicrobial next to skin doesn't, there's still stuff coming off your body. And that's where carbon kicks in because it is absorbing not only things that bacteria is producing that the antimicrobial is not taking care of, it's doing the metabolic as well as the ambient. And, and that's why we test, I believe it or not, Joe and Clint, we test, I would say four or five new solutions every year. I mean, just because we, we have the best technology for this whole odor signature game, we continue to test out and it continues to perform year over year better than any of the new technologies that, that we look at on a, on a yearly basis. So it's definitely a workhorse and it's the only technology that takes care of all three of them from ambient to um, metabolic to uh, bacterial. And that's why it's so strong. You're talking about clothing and you see a lot about store clothing storage and what are your best practices when it comes to, let's, t- let's just talk about hunting clothing, how you approach a hunt. Is it okay to put on clothes at the camp and ride in the truck or ride in the buggy? How do you approach it? What, what do you think is in an ideal situation is what you would do? You know, I would tell you, first of all, scent, scent odor management is, is not easy. It's not for everybody. If you want to play it to the nines. Best practices are definitely to, um, I normally wear some, uh, my, my base layer, I usually put that on and then I usually wear a cover suit when I go to my hunting property and it's something that's treated, you know, in a non-detergent, smelly detergent and, and I throw a sweatshirt and some sweatpants on and I go to my location then I dress outside of my truck, if you will. And I put on my pants and maybe a mid layer, and then I'll put on my my outer layer. So I will dress out of the truck. And definitely the preparing of the clothes that we prescribe here at Scentlock for every 40 hours of use is to put your clothes in a dryer or an ozone treatment. Right. And what that does is when you get to the dryer to a certain degree, it really disturbs, if you will, the odor molecules that the carbon has absorbed and it gives it basically 100 percent capacity again. Ozone works the same way as it penetrates the carbon molecules and frees up, if you will, space. So uh, on a normal situation, definitely I'm showering in the morning. I'm wearing my base layer and a clean set of clothes to my location, dressing outside the truck. I will tell you in between hunts, I think it's pretty important. I actually treat my garments every day when I'm hunting hard. I'll put them in for a 20 to 30 minute ozone treatment in my bag to make sure that my clothes, if I brushed up against something, or I would say if I've, everyone perspires, even when you're not perspiring, you're right, quote unquote, and it's creating potential odor in your garment. So I like to do a light treatment of ozone uh, in between my 40 hours of treatment is what I do. I'm glad you brought up ozone. I was a skeptic on ozone originally, and I've had the chance to use it and see the effectiveness of it 
I really, really believe in it. But I, again, I was a skeptic. I tried to make it fail and I've written an article about it. Y'all can go check that out on greatdaysoutdoors.com. It's a honest to God, truthful two-year test of, of the thing. I didn't jump right into it, but talk to me a little bit about the science behind ozone, because that's, that's probably the newest thing out there for a lot of people that maybe they haven't even tried yet. So you guys are making an ozone that can treat surfaces. Is that right? You're talking about basically now the environmental smells. Yeah, we have a collection of ozone product and we had a new launch this year in our infused sprayer, which basically take a water and we infuse it with ozone. So definitely that's a uh, ozone infused water that you can use normal tap water. So you can use that for surface areas for cleaning. Actually, I use my infused more around the house, if you will on my dog's pet bed. So I'll go over to my dog's bed. He lays in the foyer there in the house and I'll spray that with ozone spray. And it's unbelievable how that will attack that surface area and kill 99.9% of the bacteria on contact. So you have a liquid application and then we have our ozone portable units. So we have the infuse and the nano, which emits ozone. So Ozone is a, an O3 molecule, and what, what ozone's really, really, really good at, it's been used in fire restoration forever because it works. It's probably much like your article that you wrote. It actually, when it produces an O3 molecule, it'll take a scent, uh, a scent signature, which is multiple molecules coming together to create a scent, and it actually breaks apart that odor chain. And when you break apart the odor chain, it becomes benign, if you will. Only through a combination of those molecules come together does it create a vapor or a smell. So that's why ozone is great. It will, that O3 molecule will search out those scent uh, strings and it'll break them apart. And that's why it works from a scientific perspective. And we've known about it for a long time. And we just finally entered the market three years ago because we also had testing that it recharged carbon. So we thought not only can we prepare your truck, spray down your hard goods, treat things that you can't put carbon in, if you will, it's a really effective means to do that. Yeah. I, I've used the ozone generator a lot. I leave it in my truck. I leave it plugged in and I like to, the night before I'm going to hunt, I'll throw a lot of my gear uh, in there that I'm going to use, you know, just whatever, like rifle bow, you know, these kind of things and just turn that ozone generator on and let it just fill up the cabin of that truck. And I get in the next morning, you can't smell a thing. It's not that I'm smelling ozone necessarily. I just don't smell anything. And that's my question for you is, you know, you're talking about it breaking up those chains of, of scent molecules. Is that what renders it unrecognizable? Like, I mean, you were talking earlier about I walk into a kitchen and I smell breakfast or maybe I smell bacon. I know what bacon smells like somehow when ozone works on that smell. Am I now just not getting it? The odor is still trying to explain this in my own head. You know, the odor is still there, but it's just not recognizable as bacon. Does that make no, sense? It's taken that, that bacon has a specific, specific cell, and it's a matter of those different molecules come together that create that bacon smell, if you will. When that O3 hits it and breaks that string apart, there's no more nothing. Hmm. It, it fundamentally breaks that apart. You'll have parts and pieces in the air, but none of it will be pulled together to create that bacon smell. That's probably the best way yeah, to yeah. describe it to you. And that's yeah, why it's so effective. 
Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, really. I like I said, I was a true skeptic, and uh, but the stuff works. So, all right, we talked about how to deal with scent control on the body, uh, some of the different methods there. We talked about clothing and surfaces. You mentioned something earlier. You're talking about basically instead of perspiration, respiration. You you basically drink a cup of coffee, and I'm breathing all morning. How do we control that? Is there anything we can do? Is that still that carbon? Do we ha- need to have some kind of a carbon filter in front of our front of our mouth, or what's your thoughts there? Yeah, Joe and Glenn probably walked over probably one of the biggest landmines, if you will, and and I learned this the hard way pre even my last five years at this company, in that I was working really hard on scent control. There's this buck, it was a five and a half year old buck on my property, nothing big. He was just a big square block. He had some big three, three by three, I guess uh, I would call it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go after this guy. And I took all precautions, left my backpack even in my truck. I'm like, I'm just taking my bow. I'm going to be all set locked up and I'm, I'm going to go after this. Well, I was not adopting this whole head strategy. And so, of course, I saw him going along the river. He was 150 yards out. And guess what I had to do? I had to do what I said earlier, which is break out a call. And I actually grabbed some horns and I clanked them a couple times. And guess what? Here he comes. And you know exactly how the story's going to go before I even tell you. He came downwind and I'm like, he busted me. I'm like, holy crap, how does this happen? I did everything. And, and now that, that I'm in the role, a third, I would say, Joe and Clint, a third of the odor signature comes out of your head. And that is it. If you have a buddy with you and they don't, they don't, let's just say you've ozone treated their clothes. They don't have carbon on They're They're wearing someone else's minimally. I tell you to do give them a damn head mask, have them put a head mask on. Cause that breath that you talk about, Joe, that, that that's a huge part. You know, definitely I would say not to do coffee, but if you didn't do it, brush your teeth. Um, you can actually spray ozone, you know, or spray in your mouth and it kills the scent. You just don't want to be sloppy there and definitely use a head mask. Cause that, that's a huge difference maker. And what I found since that bad experience, Joe, is I had a buddy that did the same thing. He was using a Kuyu face mask the other day, he told me, and Aaron, he says, I had that all planned. I had cameras and deer was coming here and he came down and smelled me. I said, well, he called me all, fr- fr- all messed up one. I said, did you wear headgear? No. I said, go get a head cover. You own one. I know you do. Put it on. And he killed that deer the next day. Came same track right down when had that sixth sense and moved right through it. So, I mean, again, we, Joe, I just want to say once again, we're, I'm not saying you'll ever eliminate all your signature, but everyone I would say needs to work super hard to minimize, minimize your auto signature because it may just be one or two more steps on an aggressive call situation where that deer, you know, they always come down here and you may be blocked with a tree in the back. You just need two more steps. I'm telling you, when you reduce your order signature, you have a chance of him not going boom and blowing up. He may take two more steps and be like, huh, 
I wonder what's going on. By that time, you got an arrow through them. Right. Or So it's just about that. Sometimes it's one or two seconds. It's one or two more steps. Sometimes they'll come right through your older strip, your slipstream. You, you, we all know where that slipstream is when we're sitting in the tree blind. Right. And you'll see a deer move through it. So it's all about just eliminating them so they don't step on the landmine and blow up and you never see them again. That's what it's about. Yeah. And I think it's important that, that you said that too is – you've got a signature, you're going to have some kind of a signature, no matter how in-depth you get with this. And, and this just happened to me this past weekend. We hunt a lot of shooting lanes down here, almost like senderos, like you hunt in Texas. And no matter which way the wind's blowing, that sendero or that road or that lane is going to direct the wind down it, you know, because it's hitting the trees and kind of bouncing and, and moving that way. And I had a deer come in. It wasn't a deer that I wanted to shoot, but I had a deer come in and you know it was about 100 and probably 150 yards away or so and i was able to get my rifle up and and look at the deer and and realize the deer wasn't something i want to shoot and it it picked up it it looked at me looked looked my direction i know it couldn't see me and it was just kind of had that nose up in the air you know doing all those things they do and i could tell the deer knew something wasn't right but i had plenty of time that i could have taken that deer if i wanted to and then you know it moved on it knew something went right and it moved on out of the way. But like I say, having some scent control gave me the opportunity at that deer that I needed. And I've seen that a lot too, where I've employed everything that we're talking about. And like I said, I was a skeptic about a lot of these things. And so what I did to really test was I went out and tried to fail. I went into areas where I knew the deer were bedded. I knew exactly where they were bedded. I knew exactly where they were going to go feed and I purposely went out and tried to put myself at a, a wind that would mess me up. And I killed deer on, on several occasions doing this where they came in and they knew something wasn't right, but it was too late. It gave me enough time to get the shot off. And I, I think that that's really the, the value of all this. You were talking about, and I want to take you back to something you said about ozone. You mentioned spraying ozone in your mouth. I thought ozone was toxic. What's the deal on that? Is it toxic? Uh, I've heard different things. Yeah, I think if you, I'll give you kind of the the science version is, you know, EPA does regulate ozone. And that's why when you look at any of our ozone treatment, our ozone, we always say use ozone in an unoccupied room. And the reason if you get to certain levels of ozone in a confined area, it's not good for you. So, uh, but it's not like a scary or you're going to die. It's just, it's not good for you. So we always prescribe ozone be used in a, a non-enclosed area. If you go just do a little Google and there's people that do ozone wash for their mouth, it's not like that to you. Like, oh my gosh, I put it on my mouth. I gargle with it. It's, it's gonna, no, it's, it's, it's nothing like that, especially in the amounts in which like our ozone bottle is, is emitting. So it's definitely so- available to do that. So talking about that, okay, so we're, we're using, say, the, uh, the, the sprayer to treat a surface. And Infuse, yep. Yeah, so, so we use that to treat this surface, and how long is that going to last? Like, I mean, is this something where we can, we can spray down, and it's going to last a certain amount of time before that odor comes back, or is it neutralized until you get another odor on it. Does that make sense? Like if you've got something that's really noxious, say you, like you mentioned earlier, you you get gas on your pants, uh, fueling up or something like that. And you treat, uh, is this something that you have to continually treat or is talk me through 
uh, how long it lasts, how long it needs to run, those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. So like if we're talking about the Enfuse sprayer, you actually push the button and it, and it goes for, you know, 80 seconds and it charges, puts enough ozone into the water in which you can disperse it and have 99.9% of bacterial kill on contact. So let's just say we're doing the kitchen area, your kitchen table. It will take care of any bacteria that is on that surface area, which we know in this case, bacteria is the start of where odor exists on, on surface areas. And as long as you're not introducing new stuff to that surface bacteria, there, there's nothing else happening there, okay? Now I'll give you the clothes example. As long as you spray down and kill any ambient odors or bacteria that's on your clothing, as long as you're not introducing, Joe, new stuff to that mix, it doesn't have to work outside of its chance to kill because ozone in the water has about a, a 20 to 30 minute where it stays in an O3 state before it converts back to oxygen. So it does have a shelf time. That's why if you're going to use your ozone bottle again in the next 30 minutes, go ahead and recharge that. So again, you're killing the bacteria in this situation where as long as there's no bacteria there, there's no ongoing generation. But yeah. let's just say you you go out and you walk your stand and back and you want to and just say you're down to your base layer and you're like, man, I want to make sure I'm scent conscious again. Go ahead and spray down your base layer because you're perspiring. Some skin was coming off in between and it was creating a, an opportunity for odor vapors to be created there. So I hope that answers that, Joe. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it's just so cool to think of all the different things we can use now to get outdoors and hunt, you know, and do the, it's amazing that we ever killed anything, you know, before it's when you start to think about, but like you said, playing that wind is the most important thing. You got to make sure you got that, but there's tons of different options out there and why not use every, I know I need every piece of help I can get to get close to these animals. Well, <laughs> so. Joe, I, I like what you said earlier, because we could have had a whole segment on wind. Yeah. Because to your point in Sunderos, I could talk about I go into a situation with north with a south wind and I'm sitting by a river and I'm getting a northeast wind coming across me. I mean, there and then you got the temperature rising, you have good thermals. There's a whole lot of things. And I like what you said earlier that we all don't have 500 acres. We don't all have 50 stands. We don't all have segmented time where we can get off. I mean, sometimes you got to hunt in, in conditions that it's, it's really hard. So it's all about making sure you don't booger things, you know, and, and that's what I, I hope is, is one of the themes that come out of this. How do you make sure and hunt and not booger things to a degree in which you're really messing up your property? So Aaron, is there any places or situations that we shouldn't use ozone? Yeah, Clint, I'm glad you brought that up because there's a little yin to the yang, if you will, in the ozone. So I want to talk about some practical application of uh, where not to use ozone. So as an example, if you look at one of our Oz bags, if you will, we prescribe people to put hunting clothing in your Oz bag, and then you turn on your ozone to treat your clothes. Well, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but we have two ends of the bag. We have one end that has complete a separation from where the ozone's coming in. And then we have a, a side of our bag that has a couple of grommets. And I use that as an example where there's some products that I would tell you, I wouldn't expose the ozone. I wouldn't expose binoculars, if you will, to ozones. Because if you think about one of the things ozone can do, it can affect rubber. So you have rubber in your optics, if you will, that creates some little seals or scopes 
So say you threw your, um, your optics in your hunting bag, put them in the non-ozone area of the hunting bag, okay? If you have some boots, some leather boots, I don't use leather myself, but I'd put those in the semi-ozone space that have a couple grommets, they're getting a little bit. Because if you overexpose like rubber boots or leather boots with rubber outsoles, it can delaminate, if you will, that rubber. It can be pretty hard on them. Or if you have suspenders, we like to say, take your suspenders off and put them in the non-ozone area because that ozone can break down or beano straps on your binoculars or headlamps, if you will, wherever you have elastic, just be sensitive, I would say, to the audience of don't expose it to ozone. And then the other thing I would say, low and slow on ozone versus long and hard. It doesn't take more than 20 to 30 minutes of a low ozone treatment to effectively combat this whole odor management thing we're talking about today. And one of our new bags that we're really stoked about for 2021 is we now made it even simpler for the ozone bag. It has a really simple unit. It's a one-touch button, and it puts exactly the right amount of ozone out um, in a 30-minute time frame to give your, your clothes a treatment. So those would be some areas I would just caution the users to make sure that you're not dumping everything in a bag and, and giving them the full Monty. So I hope that's that's certainly helpful to that situation. So Aaron, on those items or those services where we shouldn't be using them, I mean, do you guys offer a solution for that as well? Which is something we just have to stay away from. Yeah, no, Clint, that's a really good question. Um, You know, one of the things we talked about is treating your hard goods, your bow, your backpack, your your boots, if you will. Definitely, if if my first option for you would probably be to use the infuse because the the ozone in the water has a short shelf life to it, so no issue with treating using your ozone sprayer on those hard surfaces. And then, as we have product lines as well, and others do, of general sprays that do handle the antimicrobial perspective. They, they have a surfactant that they actually take care of ambient odors as well. So I would just call, tell the users, if you don't have our infused ozone spray, which I, I would try to tell you, they're great because it's rechargeable. You never have to worry about shelf life of a given spray. Go get one of our sprays, either through ScentBlock or ScentLock, or there's other guys out there, and make sure that you're, you're looking at a spray on your hard goods to make sure that other aspect, that variable, if you will, of your odor signature is taken care of. So that's what I'd subscribe to, to any of the hard goods that you're taking in the field. You know, Clint, one of the things that I we opened the show, uh, we talked a little bit about you and your kids and going hunting. And sometimes, sometimes you got to do what you do as a dad or a mom to take your kids out hunting. And, and sometimes it's just inconceivable. Let's just talk practical application. We talk about hunting the wind, definitely hunt the wind with the stinky kids. But my advice for people that that want to get your kids involved, definitely do what you can, do what you can afford to make sure they have a head mask on, make sure their winter snowmobile suit or their outdoor gear is ozone treated, if you will. Let's just say they can't afford scent lock or whatnot. I would definitely put you in a couple of positions. I would tell you where you can use a ground blind. One of the things that you asked me, Joe, early in the call is, can you really eliminate your total odor signature? And my answer was, yeah, if you're in a plastic bag. But let's just transition from this plastic bag mentality to if you're in a ground blind, it it is doing something, if you will, to make sure that 
odor doesn't get out. Now, invariably, there's wind coming near ground blind. It's going through the back bottom of it. But if you can contain, if you will, in a ground blind, some of that bad stuff, you got a better chance, right? You may not eliminate it like maybe how we earlier talked about treating your mouth and treating all your gears and this and that, but let's just call it what it is. You're taking your kids hunting and and you're in a situation you want to go outdoors, go to a ground blind or for some of those, some people that have elevated like the rednecks and, and the muddies. And I would tell you in an elevated blind, if you will, keep the windows shut. You're doing a pretty doggone good job of while your windows are shut, keeping your stinky kids. I'm not sure you get your dog up there, but you're doing what you can to at least make those, make sure those odors are entrapped, if you will. Now you still got some variable when you open the window for the shot, but those would be two practical ways outside of playing the wind. Um, we got to get our kids outdoors. And like I said earlier, sent odor management to the nth degree is a little bit of hard work, but we don't want to get that in the way of at least taking your kids out there. So that would be a couple pieces of advice. You're probably doing a lot of that right now. But that's what I tell anyone that, you know, mom or dad, they're taking their kids out. Don't get too freaked out about everything we talked about today. Do your best. A day in the woods is still better than a day not in the woods. So that'd be my best advice on on that front. You got yeah, that that's right. Great. Yeah, Aaron. I mean, I, I can't echo that enough, man. Just get them out there. Don't worry about it if you... I think it's okay. Booger up a deer or two, you know, <laughs> it, it's better to get them out there. No doubt about it. Well, Aaron, I can't wait to have you back on and talk about wind strategies because we can nerd out on that for an entire show <laughs> and really set up some different scenarios. I'll be looking forward to, to doing that with you in the future. But till then, if folks want to check out, I thought you did a good job of, of talking about maybe the places you'd go first when it comes to scent control and then working your way down the line from there. But if they want to check you guys out, where do you recommend they go to learn more about all the different scent control products and strategies that are out there. Yeah, I'd visit uh, scentlock.com and and that will be the nerve center, if you will, for not only the product stories, but we have a lot of science stories. We have blog stories where you'll have real people such Joe as you and Clint telling real life experiences about how their either ozone changed their life, the clothing changed their life. And we have a great group of fans and and customers. And and without that, without the trust over the last 26 years, uh, we wouldn't be where we're at today. So appreciate conversation with you, Clint. and and Joe, and thanks for your support. And and all of our rabid fans out there can't do without them. Well, folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. We want to make it easy for you to listen to our new shows as soon as they are ready. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you, you need to be on our email list. It's really simple. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just the word hunting to 773-770-4377 to join our email list. And as always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to hear from you. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know. Send us an email, pros at landhunting.com. Drop us a review. Let us know how we're doing, what you want to hear more of. But until next week, I hope you guys stay safe out there and wrap up your season successfully. 
This week's show has been brought to you by Alabama Ag Credit. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baia and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. Bottom line, we know land, and now is a great time to buy or sell. Want to know why? Shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND. And also brought to you by Southern Yankees. Right now for sale, Southern Yankees has around 60 does and bucks that are mule deer hybrids. Most are 50% mule deer genetics. The 75% and greater mule genetics look and hop as mule deer do. These animals are not being sold as game animals. A high fence enclosure is required for ownership. They are produced by world-class mule deer sires. Southern Yankees Deer Farm, 256-990-3838. Any and all state laws will be followed prior to commencement of any final proposal to sell or the actual sale of these animals. This is void where prohibited by law. And also SunSouth. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth for those that do. And also Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Great Days Outdoors Magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the Mason-Dixon. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.